0: Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. This is Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And this week, we are joined by Elizabeth Garn to talk about her new book, Freedom to Flourish, The Rest God Offers in the Purpose He Gives You. Really great book. This is one Rachel and I really enjoyed, really fits with a lot of the sorts of things that, that we talk about. So, Elizabeth. First starters, for those not familiar with you, can you share a little bit about yourself and then, and also why you wrote this book?
1: Sure. And thank you for having me. And I'm just really excited to be with you guys. Um, Yeah, I'm Elizabeth Garn. I write a little bit and speak a little bit and um, married to my husband, Steve. We've been married for almost 18 years and have three very wild, goofy kids. We live in the DC area. I think that's, that is me. Pretty, pretty boring, actually. Um, But as far as why I wrote this book, I will say I grew up in the church. I definitely did all the retreats and the conferences. I loved youth group. I loved women's ministry. Um, Very nerdy. I just, I wanted to be a part of it. And I definitely as a kid really wanted to know who God created me to be. And so I spent a lot of time looking into that and Trying to figure out who who God had created me to be and what I was supposed to do to please Him, a problem was, and I know this looking back now. Over all those years, as I was trying to figure all this out, I I was getting way more about um, what God wanted me to do than what God created me to be, and the result for me, at least, was um, a lot of exhaustion because I started trying really, really hard to do all of the things that I thought godly women were supposed to do. And I had this picture in my head of the good Christian woman um, who were supposed to be that, that part Mary, part Martha, all perfect. And I, I believed that women were supposed to get married. I believed that our purpose was to have babies. I believed that we were supposed to volunteer a lot and teach Sunday school and and that really the heart of our purpose as women was to just work really hard. And I quickly became very exhausted by that. And it wasn't until, until really I got to seminary. I was at um, Reform Theological Seminary and I was sitting in my Jenda Josh class and the professor started talking about what it meant to be made in the image of God and um, what God really meant when he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. And um, he kind of started to go into this and it was, you know, one of those moments where like everything just kind of slows down, um, almost like a scene from a movie. And I just remember sitting there going, oh my goodness, Lord, your plan is so much better than I realized I had been just wearing myself out, trying to do all of these good things for God. And here he was saying, no, that's, that's not why I created you. That's not the heart of your purpose. Yeah. And it was just one of those moments that was pretty life-changing for me and realized I grew up in the church and I didn't know this. I didn't know what it meant to be made in the image of God. I didn't know what it meant to be fruitful and multiply. And I had all these misunderstandings about so many foundational issues. And so I just started really digging into it and kind of prayed that one day the Lord might let me share some of that with other women who I knew were struggling with similar things. Um, And and lo and behold, he has allowed me to join him in that
2: with this book. So, I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, it's like Colleen said, I really enjoyed the book. Um, it was Thank refreshing. Um, yeah, as we've talked before on here you, in, in other podcasts, we're working through a lot of the baggage mm-hmm. around our purpose as women and um, who we are in Christ and what various passages mean. And it was just really very refreshing. As a read, um, I'm so glad. So, could you explain a little bit you know, the title, Freedom to Flourish? What does it mean, and why did you pick it?
1: <laughs> that is such a great question. And I'm laughing because um, I'm horrible at writing titles. I love <laughs> writing, but the titles are the worst part for me. And um, literally, my editors and I went back and forth for almost two years trying to settle on a title for this book. Um, and yeah, I love the one we, we came up with, but I I can take very little credit for that. But, um, the idea between about freedom to flourish is just wanting to, um, to really convey that our purpose is not about what we do. It's not about working hard. Um, a lot of women, obviously myself included have this picture in our heads of, of God having a checklist of the things that we have to do. Um, or not do. We have long lists in our heads about what women should do or say or work, or how we should serve or volunteer or lead, um, what we're not allowed to do or say or dress or wear, and all those things. Um, and really wanting to convey the idea that God's purpose for us really is saturated in freedom, um that it is it is bigger and better and more filled with hope than some of these ideas we have in our head. So, So the idea of being free to be the women God created us to be instead of burdened Um, and then flourishing that, that God's plan for us really is about flourishing. It's not about keeping us in little boxes or limiting um, who we are, but instead to, to kind of set us free on the world and say, go bring flourishing to, to these spaces and places that he's put us to really join
0: him in that calling. I could relate so much in, the first part of your book, when you talk about, you know, how you're going to do everything perfect. And I, I was going to get married and be the perfect Mm -hmm. wife and perfect mom and very much how you describe, you know, it was everything about what I was going to do. And I had Mm -hmm. my, I was very burdened because obviously it's hard to be perfect. Uh Um, And, and I realized that I was really kind of, Had the burden of I needed to make sure that my marriage was perfect, that it was all on me, Mm -hmm. um, that that my kids grew up to be, you know, perfect little angels and and all of those (laughs) things. But along the way, um, there was a popular book for Christian wives. And so at some point somebody gave it to me and I read it and it had kind of it had several lists of what you should do and i went to my husband i said do you want me to do these things he's like no do not do those things
2: <laughs> <laughs> good for good him man. good man and
0: my hu- my husband man i'm i'm just so grateful for for his wisdom and then an older woman in our church that i i love her and she came to me and she said you're going to wear yourself out you mm. can't do everything <laughs> you know because yeah. i was very involved you know for children and homeschooling and everything at church. And and I think those messages along the way helped me. But what really, you had that story of how you, you know, kind of your eyes were opened. For me, when I started having severe health problems, it's amazing how the Lord uses our suffering. Like, I, I would like it all to be over now, mm. but I also am thankful because of the the things that I learned because I couldn't do everything even close to perfect. I couldn't do much. And so uh, there's a quote, then this is one of the quotes that, you know, really describes kind of where I was at too. I had come to believe that the Christian life was about what I did. When we don't have a solid understanding of who God created us to be and how he planned for us to live out our purpose together, we will flounder and create plans for ourselves instead. Um so what what do you mean that we are important because of what and who we are and not what we do? Mm,
1: that really is kind of the heart of the issue in so many ways. It's it's a question about purpose and worth and value and and yeah I was that that nerdy Christian girl. I was the one with my journals and my notebooks going to all these retreats and bible studies and just taking notes. Um I was definitely the um the kid who sat down the young woman who sat down with the Proverbs 31 woman and made a list of all the things that she did and all the the things that I must supposed to do as well and um I think I know the book you're referring to cuz I think I was given that book when I went through premarital counseling and um Unfortunately, my leader was way more along the lines of no, these are the things that, that godly women need to do. Um, but, but it really isn't about what we do. Our purpose and our worth and our value really can't come from our actions. But we do. We often believe that we're, we're supposed to be helpers. We're supposed to work hard and do all of those things. So your question was, what does it mean that it's not what we do? It's about who we are. And and then really the answer comes to, to a question of purpose, that God created us with a really big purpose. And we do easily create purposes for ourselves. When we don't understand who God created us to be and how He created us to live that out, we do scrounge through the Bible and we do create lists on our own. And we do look at the Proverbs 31 woman and and see what she did. Or we give each other books of lists that godly women are supposed to do. Um But the reality is we really need to ask God what He created us to do and what our purpose actually is. And for that, you know, I always turn back to Genesis 126, where God declares that we will be made in His image. Um, I had a pastor say once that whenever you want to know God's heart on a matter, always start at the beginning. Go back to the first time it's mentioned in Scripture. And um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And there definitely is with this, because it was in those first moments that God created humanity and Adam and Eve, that he declared our purpose. He didn't leave it up to, to our questions and he didn't leave it up to us to have to scrounge through the Bible and figure it out. He just said it right away. You're going to be my images on the earth. And being made in the image of God gives us an incredible amount of worth and dignity and value. And and we don't have to strive. We don't have to do more to um, to get that. Instead, that he's he's declared it for us right away. Um, our our importance and our worth comes from the fact that we were made in his image, not um, from checking all those boxes or doing all the right things or looking the part, as we so often kind of believe.
2: In the, the book, a couple of quotes that I really liked as you were getting into the the meat of the why you wrote it and what it was about. And you talked about how, especially for women, just, without even realizing it, we've created a workspace, pseudo-salvation, that's leaving us hurting, discouraged. Encouraged and exhausted, mm-hmm. and if you've ever felt the pull between being the woman you are and being the woman you th- think you're supposed to be, if you've ever believed that the heart of God's plan for us was doing more and trying harder then this book is for you, and those really piqued my interest because you know, that is so much. And we talked about the lists and the you know the rules for for women, mm-hmm. like what we need to be and how to be the woman of God, right? So. With what you're talking about, what were we created for?
1: Yeah, I mean, we were created to be God's images on the earth. When he said, let us create man in our image, he he wasn't just telling us the next thing on his list of what he was going to create. He was telling us, you know, God was declaring both what he was about to do and why he was going to do it. He was going to place his image on the earth. Um, we are going to be his images, his, his image bearers. That that is the height of our purpose: is to be reflections of him and um, to to live that out in the world. Um, and it really is a high calling. It's higher than any of the other callings that we would give ourselves. When we um, when we start to believe that that the height of being a godly woman is being a good wife, or that the the highest calling of womanhood is motherhood. We're actually limiting what God has created us for. Um, Instead, He's given us this great, big, huge, amazing, beautiful plan to be His images. And that looks like a lot of different things, and we'll probably get into that as we continue. But but yeah, the short answer of what we were created for was we were created to be God's image.
0: I wanted to say we had somebody post in the group, and this is kind of to our audience on who this book is for? It's it's for all of you, but we had a, a girl post in our Facebook group recently that um, she's single and she feels like whenever womanhood is talked about, it's talked about in terms of being a wife and a mother, mm-hmm. and that you know she is having a hard time knowing what to focus on. Because mm-hmm. whenever womanhood is biblical womanhood is talked about, it's about being a wife and mom. I have a quote here from the book. That's how we end up in situations in which we're studying like Ruth or Hannah. And rather than seeing them as women whom God used in his story of redemption, we start to see them as nothing more than elevated checklists of what we must do to become real women of God. What does it mean? Mean for us to be made in God's image, and how does that affect our purpose in life?
1: Hmm. Well, let me just first say, I, you know, I can. My heart goes out to that woman in your Facebook group because I know she's not alone. Um, that there are far too many women in our churches and in our communities who are who are aching because we often in the church limit womanhood to being a wife or a mother, and um it's one of the reasons I wanted to write this book so much was to help everyone understand that that's, that's not it. It's bigger than that. Um, and that God, God loves his daughter so much and his plan for us is, is so big and so beautiful. And it really is to be made in God's image. So, I mean, as you said, what is, what does that mean? Um, well, the, the truth is that is a really complicated question and we could spend hours going into the theological nitty gritty of what all that means, but the short answer um, is that God made us to be like Him, that we are created to reflect His character and nature to the world around us. We are essentially His representatives. George C. Hammond is one of the theologians that I um, quote a lot in the book because he's done some fantastic work on what it means to be made in God's image, and he says, we are visible representations of the invisible God, and I I love that because I think it is a beautiful reminder of a number of truths when it comes to image bearing. One that it's it's visible that there is something in our bodies that that visually represents God, um, but that it's more than that as well. We can rightly say that the whole person is made in the image of God, that we reflect Him through our bodies, but also through our our hearts and our minds, our emotions, our relationships. All of those things are like mirrors that reflect out to the world, the character and the nature of God. Um, So something about us, even just our very existence of living in this world is meant to point people back to God. To, um, to be his representatives on the earth. And, and obviously we know that sin distorted that, but it didn't destroy that. Um, instead, he's given us this calling to, to be his image. And, you know, it's interesting, and I, I hope I'm not getting too far off, off topic here, but when we talk about our purpose, um, we kind of have to isolate our purpose from, from how we live that out because being made in the image of God is something that he simply declared for us. It's not something that we earn. It's not something that we work towards or strive for. It really isn't a checkbox. It is just simply what we are. Um, And there's a sense where it's almost a passive thing. Like we just are images. (laughs) Simply by existing on the earth, we are God's images. It's why we can look at any person anywhere, no matter how old they are or where they come from or what they look like or what they do and say they have intrinsic worth and value because they are made in the image of God. Um, And he calls us to live that out in a certain way. And and sanctification is the process of that image that was damaged by the fall and by sin being restored in us. But when it comes to what it means to be made in the image of God, it just means that we were created to be like him um, and to reflect him to the world. And so our purpose really is to simply do that,
2: to, to be his image on the earth. Um, that's so freeing and so encouraging. Um, I um, I like the what you mentioned, and I don't think I pulled the quote for this, but the one about about God's love and plan for His daughters. It was just really hmm. just beautiful, right? To, to think about His love for us as daughters. Yeah. Um, so, at one point, you wrote. Uh, When we think the cultural mandate teaches that the highest calling of women is motherhood, when we believe that it is the heart of our purpose, we create a system in which some women qualify as women of God and others do not. We base a woman's value on something entirely beyond her control, and we essentially establish a club that admits only a few and leaves the rest behind. How should we then understand the creation mandate when it says to be fruitful and multiply, et cetera?
1: Oh, I love this question so much because um, as we just talked about the woman in your Facebook group, this is one of those moments where I just get really excited to be able to kind of show women the bigness of God's plan and, um, yeah, I get almost giddy. Like, oh, it's so much bigger than that. Like I know that's what you've heard. I know that so many women have experienced that 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 longing and also that that sense of not fitting in or not being welcomed because of of their life stage or their circumstances. And I just want to bring the hope to them that God's plan is so much bigger. And so many of us have gone through life in the church believing that the command or the call to be fruitful and multiply means simply to have babies, that it's just about procreation. And that makes sense. I don't want to, to make light of that. Um, we know Adam and Eve were married. Um, they were the first family. And so it makes sense that we would hear God's call to them to be fruitful and multiply and assume that it's, it's just about filling the earth with more people, more image bearers. Um, but when we do that, we actually really limit the context of the call, of the command. We we limit it to this sort of isolated story. And sometimes I think we even forget that when God was talking to Adam and Eve, if we look at the way Genesis 1 through 3 is laid out, we, we think it's just this little isolated kind of aside to the story. Um, but when we look at the way Genesis is laid out, we start to realize that that this command, this call um, this blessing that we call the cultural mandate actually fits right in with the, the greater creation account as a whole. And so to understand really what it means to be made or to, to be fruitful and multiply um, we have to put it back in the context of creation itself. And when we do that, when we look at the bigger picture, we see a couple key things that help us to understand this better. The, the first thing we see is um that the creation account is set up kind of like a, I call it a Google Maps, where it starts really zoomed out with Genesis 1-1, and then it takes a step forward with Genesis 1-2, and then it takes another step forward with the whole rest of the creation account, and then Genesis 2 starts this super zoomed in view. Um, But when we realize that, we start to see that Genesis 1-2, where God says the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Um, it's actually kind of an overview of everything we're going to see in the creation account that that the earth was without form. That word there really means chaos. It was chaotic and God is going to deal with the chaos in the creation account. And then it says, and it was void, which literally means empty. And God is going to deal with the emptiness of creation as he, as he fills it. Um, And he's going to do it all personally because his spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. And so when you read Genesis one, you start to see all these things unfold. God is filling, he is bringing order and it is beautiful and personal and loving. And it's at the height of all of this happening that he declares, he's going to make images creatures who will be like him. And then he turns to his images and he says, okay, now it's your turn. And so this call to be fruitful and multiply can't be seen just in the marriage context, not just in a context of Adam and Eve as a married couple, but it has to be seen in the context of God's work in creation, because God deals with the emptiness by filling and he deals with the chaos by bringing order. And then he turns to his image bearers and says, okay, now you need to go and do what I just did, fill the emptiness. And so to understand what it means to to be fruitful and multiply, We have to look at the way God was fruitful and multiplied in the creation account. And he filled the earth, not just with his image bearers, although that was part of it. Certainly procreation is a way in which we fill the earth. Um, But he also filled it with with art and music and song, um, with beautiful colors and smells, with truth and stories, all those things. And so when we think about what it means for us as women of God— to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Um, We need to look at the gifts that He has given us and the passions that He's given us and the ways in which He is calling us to bring life to the spaces that we are in. Um, That we image Him when we create things, we image Him when we teach things, when we um, love other people well, when we care for them, when we um, create disciples as the um, Great Commission says, when we fill minds with truth, all of those things that we do are ways in which we are being fruitful and multiplying. Um, so it's bigger than just having babies. It, it, is, it is a big, beautiful call to be imitators of God. And I just love that. I love it so, so, so much.
0: Another thing, discussion in the group recently um, was talking about the doctrine of vocation. Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking about, okay, who, what are things that I am specifically good at? What am I called to? Mm-hmm. Um, what are the problems that come from a skewed understanding of subdue in the creation mandate and how should we understand it?
1: That's such a great question. Cause it really does tie into the same problem where we've kind of isolated the cultural mandate um, to just, you know, God speaking to Adam and Eve outside of the context of creation um, and when we do, um, a lot of things can go wrong. I know for me, I I really spent most of my life believing that God gave the command to be fruitful and multiply to Eve um, and the command to subdue the earth and have dominion over it just to Adam, um, which is, of course, is not true. He gave them both, both of them. Um, but when we think it's just for Adam, we start to see this idea of subduing and having dominion as being a man's job. Um, and we kind of divide it along gender lines. And when we do that, we create this kind of weird system where women are praised for their work in their homes and men are only praised for their work outside the home vocationally. And we start to put a little bit of overemphasis on, on those things. Um, there are so many problems, like I'm just sitting here and my mind is kind of spinning with ways in which that can create problems, like you said, with Ideas about vocation, ideas about where we put value, um, the types of jobs we put value when we don't quite understand what it looks like to, to subdue, when we think it's just a work thing. Um, likewise, when we think subdue is, well, well, when we misunderstand what subdue means, we start to think of it as kind of a domineering sort of thing, as a power issue, um, a way of... Um, Domineering instead of having dominion, it can be a harsh sort of thing. I've I've even heard of churches, even just recently, who um, that don't put recycling bins in their churches because they feel like the earth is ours to do with as we want. Um, so instead of caring for the earth, they see us as having freedom as the rulers, as those who are called to to have dominion over it. That that we have. You know the freedom to take what we want without regards for, for actually caring for it, and so there's there's all sorts of problems. Um, instead, we need to take it back to God's actions and see the way in which His dominion is a holy kingship, um, and He subdued as a loving Father who brought order and peace and care. That when God subdued the chaos. Um, so to speak that he was uh, bringing safety to his creation that he was creating places of peace for his creatures and not just humans all of the creatures to live um and to to flourish to have the things that they needed to exist together and and it really is a beautiful call to care for others to see people well to love them the way that god does um instead of this kind of almost abusive sort of domineering that can easily be misconstrued excuse me,
2: misconstrued instead. And the question may sound a little like a side note, but as you're talking in the book, you, you talk about shame, right? And mm-hmm. I appreciate how, you know, you, you've, you take several places where you take these things that we think we understand and you're like, well, let's look at it biblically. What does it really mean? here and here. And one of those was, you talk about shame, and and Mm -hmm. of course, in the context of the fall and our lives, but how should we understand shame in this context?
1: Yeah, that is a great question. And, you know, I've got to say, um, when I wrote the book, I don't think I realized that there is controversy surrounding the way we view shame, but certainly there is, um, as we in the church are (laughs) often good at arguing about a lot of things. Um, so I recognize that not everybody out there would agree with me, um, but I, I understand shame to be the emotional reaction we have to either what was done to us or what we have done um, that instead of pushing us towards restoration or restitution drives us away instead. So the idea there being um, similar to what other people have said that, that guilt, that um, guilt is when we know we've done something wrong and we seek to make it right. Um, Shame is the other way around. We know we've done something wrong or in many cases, something wrong was done to us. And instead of trying to make it right, we start to believe that we aren't worthy instead. Um, Shame convinces us that we don't deserve to be loved, that we don't deserve to be forgiven, um, that what was done to us, we did deserve. Um, It's isolating. It's um, insidious. It Shame just sinks deep into our hearts and just convinces us of all these lies. And what we see in the garden is Adam and Eve, um, you know, it says their eyes were opened and they, you know, they realized the depth of what they had done. They realized the goodness of the one they had done it against. They realized their potential to harm one another. Um, And instead of running to the God that they loved, they hid They created clothes to cover themselves, cover their vulnerability, which just moments before had been a good sort of vulnerability, a good sort of knowing each other and loving each other well, all of a sudden was terrifying. Um, And that's what shame does. Shame pushes us away. And so when God came to the garden and talked to Adam and Eve, He was dealing with their sin for sure, but He was also graciously dealing with their shame. Um, And shame really really does creep up when we don't understand who we are created to be. There's a lot of women in the church today, I'm convinced, and I was certainly one of them and, and struggle with this still, I think, who, you know, when I don't understand who God created me to be, when I don't understand the freedom that it comes from being his image, when I feel like I've got all these lists of things that I have to do or accomplish, um, that shame is often the result. Um, shame of failing. I you know, feeling constantly like I'm not doing enough, or I'm not doing the right things, or I'm not a good enough mother, or I'm not a good enough wife, or I'm not a good enough church goer, or whatever it might be. But feeling like I've failed, um, and I think we do a pretty good job of convincing women they failed. You know, even in the church, but but we're doing it to ourselves mm-hmm. as well. And shame is just such a big deal. Um, so for me, seeing God's response to Eve's shame in that moment was um, hugely freeing for my heart to see just the way that God God came. and he entered into the story and he entered into those moments with her and and really pulled her out and didn't just cover her shame, but really removed it entirely it was is something that I just think is so important that we all kind of need to see how gracious and loving god truly is to us even in
0: our in our shame yeah one of the things we emphasize a lot on this podcast is grounding everything in the gospel and Mm -hmm. god's love for us and Christ's death for us and there are some uh teachers that for women out there that it's they are promoting kind of the exact thing that you came out of do 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 and yeah. we'll get women that are just worn out and yeah. will say i don't think i'm doing enough i don't think i'm godly enough i mm-hmm. you know uh, i'm sure you've heard some of those stories too mm-hmm. yeah. and and i think you know i love the title of the book freedom to flourish because just knowing who we are in christ just really i think is helpful there was mm-hmm. a post on facebook from one of these um, what I call them heavy law teachers, because mm-hmm. it's just la la, 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 la. And somebody came and said, "Well, where's the gospel in and, and what you teach?" And she said, "Oh, I'm talking to Christians. You don't need to hear the gospel." And oh no. <laughs> I've, I've, I think of something that my brother-in-law's dad wrote. <laughs> the gospel is for Christians too. Uh-huh. Um, as we need to be reminded of that daily. And yeah. I still struggle with the do, 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 do. And, and then I fall flat on my face and I have to look back to Christ. Mm-hmm. That's con- constantly, I think, is what my life is. So, you talk about living as His image. What does that mean and how do we do that? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, goodness. Yeah, i I have so many experiences with that same sort of heavy law. And it's understandable to me. We are— We are people, and we were created as living, breathing images of God. We're not static, um, you know, things that just stand here. We are actually supposed to live and interact with the world. And so it makes so much sense to me that we would focus on the application, that we go to conferences or read books and walk away with lists of things that we're supposed to do because we like application. And honestly, it's, it's simple. It's easy. It's nice to have a clear cut goal of what we're supposed to do. And, and I will tell you when I was writing this book, we went round and round um, me and my editor, cause she very sweetly kept saying, well, we, you know, we need to, we need to give people application. And I kept saying, we can't, like, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't tell people how to live this because I'm trying to tell them instead that there isn't a to-do list, that there's, there's not a recipe for success here. I can't give you, Ten things you have to do to be a good image bearer of God, um, because that's the point. Like, I'm not going to give you a list. Um, the way God calls us to live as His image is really is a unique individual thing. Um, so it just makes me laugh a little bit hearing this question, and it's a great question. But knowing how how many times we went around in circles about how to communicate this in the book without burdening women, without giving them too many lists of things to do um because the reality is we are image bearers and i i really like to use the analogy of a mirror that mirrors reflect that that we are his images we are created to reflect out his character and his nature to the world to fill it with his glory um, but mirrors don't have to work at being mirrors they just are um they just do what they do but mirrors always reflect out what they're closest to. So when we think about being made in the image of God, um, the reality is that we are we are imitators, we are images, and we will always reflect out that which we are closest to. Um, and because of the fall, what we're closest to is not always God. Um, we can draw close to many, many things and reflect all of those things out instead. But God is graciously calling us to just simply be near Him. And I don't mean that in a you know, have a quiet time every morning, check off that box, sort of burdening um, mentality that some of us maybe are used to. Um, I mean, it simply in the idea that we are called to abide in Him and be with Him, to pray, to love Him, to know Him, and be in relationship with Him. And the more we do that, um, whatever that looks like, the more we will start to image Him well. We will think like Him and act like Him and love like Him and and see people like Him, not because we're working at it, not because we've checked off the right boxes, but simply because we are image bearers and that's what images do. That is a natural result of being in relationship with Him is that we will look like Him more. Um, And of course, that's what sanctification is anyways. You know, sanctification is us being um, renewed and restored into the image Of Christ, who is, of course, the image of God. (laughs) I mean, all of those things are so tied together in a a beautiful way that the whole of Scripture points to this idea that that being in relationship with God
0: will change us to look like Him more. Yeah, I I think this book will be really helpful. I just think of um, some of the discussions in our Facebook group and the sorts of things that so many uh, women are are struggling with. And I think our default is to like those lists, you know, Mm -hmm. we just give me a list. Give me the list of 10 things to do that. My marriage will be perfect. Give me the list, the 15 things to do that. My kids are going to grow up and never rebel or whatever.
1: We want the list. And so part of me does feel bad. Like I don't have a list for you. (laughs) And we get into it a little bit in the last chapter of, okay, well, so here are some practical things that you can be doing. But even then, like, it's it's all about knowing who God created you to be and knowing God. Um, and there's freedom in that, but it's a scary sort of freedom because it's big and it's open. Um,
0: it's not as concrete as perhaps we want it to be. Uh, I think that's exactly right. We sometimes do question and answer episodes. And one of the things we've probably said more often than not is navigating some of these things Mm -hmm. with wisdom, because there are so many things that are not black and white. But in the church, we've made some things black and white um, Mm
2: -hmm. that That aren't.
0: aren't. Yes.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you write that Eve wasn't plan B um what do you mean by that and why does it matter oh
1: goodness i i hope i'm not the only one um well i should say i I hope i am the only one because definitely this is a huge misunderstanding but i can remember very distinctly as a young woman feeling like being a woman meant being less than um that that men were god's plan and that women were kind of an afterthought. And I think some of that comes from misunderstanding Genesis two, when we get into the creation of Eve and um, it's not good that Adam be alone and all that. And, and really coming to understand and, and whether that was just through um, misunderstandings on my part or maybe well meaning, but misguided teachers, I'm not exactly sure. Um, But, but really coming to believe that, that women were kind of second best. I, I hope that makes sense. I'm not sure mm-hmm. I can explain it better, but just that that men were more important. Um, men were the ones who were supposed to do the real work, and women were supposed to help on the sidelines so that they could. And um, and that Eve was kind of a a plan B. That Adam was very lonely, and so God thought, oh oh, oops, yeah, I should I should make someone for you. I'll make Eve. Um, Instead of realizing the the beauty of the fact that God, God always planned to make Eve, you know, from before the creation of the world, he was going to make men and women. Um, And that they would both be bearers of God's image completely, um, uniquely, and that she wasn't plan B. And we as women are not afterthoughts. Um, We are important and valuable and loved by God Um, and I certainly didn't know that and I think there's something very valuable in just reminding women of the truth of that as well Um, because whether or not we all think that to ourselves maybe as overtly as I did or maybe just sometimes it kind of seeps in that we feel like we're not as important or as valuable to God or to the church or to our communities I just want women to know that that is not the truth that they are very much part of the plan and always have been from the very beginning.
2: Yeah. I don't think that at all that you're the only one who has heard or been yep. or absorbed that message. <laughs> um,
1: I, I wish I was
2: the only one. Cause it's a really right. bad message, but, oh, but it, but it is like you, you hear, and I'm sorry, I should interrupt you. Go ahead. Do you want to- No, 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 please. I want to hear what you have to say. Um, it's, it's one of those things that you hear that whether it's, Taught outright, which I have read, or it's Mm -hmm. just kind of inferred that the only reason Adam needed when uh, Eve, the only reason that they needed women was for procreation. Mm -hmm. That that was the reason that that's the thing that he couldn't fulfill. He couldn't um, be fruitful and multiply without a wife, right? And so he had to have a wife so he could have children, and then that's it. Like that's that was the purpose, and that's all she's there for and you know then we become you know we're useful we have a purpose <laughs> but some of us do right as long as you're right as long as you can then you've mm-hmm. done your part and and it it's very burdening because then mm-hmm. you know, as we talk you talk about in your book and as we've talked here before you know what if that isn't what you're given either um you know you don't get married or yeah. you can't have children or mm-hmm. you know there's there's all sorts of things that go along with that um You feel like you're always waiting to fill your purpose, because that is your purpose, but it's not your purpose, as you say. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, the same thing carries over, you know, that's – from that, that's the purpose of women in marriage, then it carries over into the church, right? So, then the Mm -hmm. only purpose that women have in the church is to have children. And – help teach the children or take care of the children or feed the children. Like that's, that's it. Like all of the responsibility revolves around that in the church. And that's the, you know, the image that I used in my book about us being like throw pillows. We're Mm -hmm. we're pretty decorative, but we're not really useful. Right. In in the way we're applied. And so I really appreciate how you work that in. Like we were not plan B. We were always part of what God's plan is for the earth and for us Mm -hmm. and for his people. And, our purpose is so much more than, you know, that one dimension. Yeah, and a lot of the teachings out there give that
0: impression. I think mm-hmm. that's why you are not the only one, even as you talk about that it's the men's job to to take dominion. I mean, there mm-hmm. are teachings in our very circles that women should be home and not, not have anything to do with society. So, it, I think that that's how a lot yeah. of women feel
2: right. So yeah, men are the ones who have the important work and women are there just as like, you know, the helpers like, and, and by helper, we, we don't mean like helper. We mean like, you know, that you want know, our children help us in the kitchen, yeah. you know, the, the, the little helpers, you know, as you yeah. mentioned. Yeah.
0: Uh, my next question is something that um, has been posted in our Facebook group countless times, but I'm going to read a quote first. That you have before women ever walked the earth, God declared He was going to make an ezer, and He was going to make her female. She was created to run to the aid of her people, to protect those who needed protection, to fight to save those who were in danger. She was the perfect co-laborer, something Rachel talks about, who mm-hmm. could stand with other image bearers, joining with them to reflect God's image to the world. So, what does it mean? For women to be helpers, oh. I think this is such a a big question in so many women's minds, and pro- something I think is misunderstood.
1: Yeah, I think it is too, and and definitely I misunderstood it for a very long time. Um, Rachel, I love what you talked about being, you know, helpers versus being like helpers. Right. Um, I think I I use the phrase "mommy's little helper" because mm-hmm. that is. That is what I thought it was, like to be called a helper was to be an assistant um and not even like a really useful assistant, like the assistant that we give busy work to, so that you know the boss can get the real work done um and for a lot of times a long time i I thought that's what eve was, I thought that's what we were um was just there to do the busy work so that other people could do the real work. Well, so that men could do the real work. And, um, but the reality is that's, that's not what God is saying when he calls Eve Azer. Um, So the question of what it means to be Azer, I think you have to kind of go back to the original word to begin with. Um, It's a word that means to save from danger or to help or bring aid. Some even translate it as deliver from death. It is used many times in the Bible and almost always carries with it the idea of protecting or giving encouragement. Often, um, it's used in a military sense as well, conveying a sense of urgency and rushing. Um, And so, certainly, it is someone who brings aid. But I think we can kind of see pretty quickly it's not a little type of aid. It's not like going to make copies in the copy room sort of aid. It is. It is big aid. It is life saving aid. It is um, a big deal. In fact, some theologians cite that Azar comes from two different Hebrew root words one that means to rescue and one that means to be strong. Um, and so there are some theologians who think that instead of translating it helper, as we often see, but that um, power is a better word for what is happening here. Um, that when God calls eve azer he wasn't using a um a diminutive term it wasn't a less than or a lower role that instead he is um talking about the need for her to join adam in a big way um in a life-saving way and and that That Eve would be necessary to the world, um, not just her marriage, that this was not just a marriage thing. This was a a whole of life calling. Um, In fact, most of the time, Azar is used in the Bible. It's used in reference to God himself when he rushes to the aid of his people, um, when he brings them life-saving help. He is their shield. He is their defender, their sword. He rushes on the clouds to save them. so when God called Eve Azer, he was doing a couple of things. One, he was talking to the bigness of her, um, the need for her to be there. Um, but two, he was kind of echoing back to this idea of her being made in his image and rooting this idea of being a helper um, in the biggest sense of the word in himself, um, that he is our Azer and and Eve was to be an Azer like God is to be an Azer and um, we often look at very similar to what I was saying earlier about the cultural mandate given to Adam and Eve. And we often you know look at that and think that was just in the context of their marriage. Um, often when we hear this, this idea that it was not good for Adam to be alone, I'll make him a, a helper. We, we look at it and we think it was, is just in their marriage relationship because we know that as soon as Eve's created that, you know, Oh, wow, this is bone of my bones. And they're married and the two will become one. And, you know, that's, that's what we quote in all of our our weddings. And so we assume that it was in the context of his relationship that God created Eve as an azer. Um, But again, we have to take a little step back and look at the context of what's going on in that whole passage. And when we do that, we see that God had just created Adam and placed him in the garden to guard it and keep it. Um, and it's right after that, that God says, it is not good for Adam to be alone. Adam didn't even know he was alone. He wasn't experiencing loneliness at this point in the story. He didn't know he had a lack that needed a f- to be filled in any way. Um, instead, God is referring to, I believe, um, I think there's strong biblical evidence for this too, um, that it was in his calling that he needed an azer, that In his calling to live as the image of God, to guard and keep the garden, to fulfill all of those things that he needed, he needed an azer. And it's that was what was not good for him to be alone. And so when we talk to women about being azers or or helpers, as most of our Bibles call it, uh, we have to talk about it as a whole of life thing. Um, It's not a wife thing. It's not a marriage thing. It is a joining a co-laborer thing, as we said, joining with um, the body of Christ to bring flourishing to the world, to carry out the cultural mandate in the biggest sense of it. Um, That it's a big, awesome thing. It is not God putting Eve in a little box and saying, this is where you need to stay. Instead, it's Him flinging the doors wide open and saying, come be like me.
0: And I love that. (laughs) It makes me really excited. And a lot of messages out there are the little box. You're a woman. Um, here's your little box. This is where you must stay. In fact, sometimes we get questions like, what can a woman do? Because a lot of it is painted as that box. Here, Here's everything you can't do and you need to stay mm-hmm. in your lane. This is going to be such a helpful book for so many of our listeners. So I'll link it in episode notes. Um, so definitely go Purchase that, put on your birthday list, or um, however you do that. We, I did want to tell you, we had a couple people message me and asked if we were going to have you on. So I know that there are women that are excited about the book. So
1: oh, that's that's very encouraging.
0: Well, thank you so much, so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me. This has been so much fun to just talk with you guys, and we'll
0: see everyone next week.